Go ahead and grab your smartphones, your tablets, whatever it is you need to follow along with us in this message today. Again, this is a Father's Day message. I want to let you know that I'm taking, I'm taking a little bit of a hiatus uh, from the normal series, the series that we began a couple of weeks back on dealing with fear, and I have a Father's Day message, which is called The Principle of Honoring. The Principle of Honoring. So if you'll bear with me, and uh, let's get right into this message today. First of all, thank you for being here. It's just so good to see you. Many of you know that uh, we've had an awful lot going, Marianne and I have had an awful lot going on, and we knew that. There's also a lot going on with the church as far as our life path. You're going to learn more about our life path as we're, we're moving forward, but there's a lot of work, a lot of work that's been going into all of that, and it's a good thing. It's a very, very good thing. I'm very excited about life path, um, and you'll learn more about that as we move along. But uh, we, we've had to, I've had to cut back on preparation for messages because it's, I'm not a smart guy, and it takes me a long time to get something put together and, and be able to speak, so I purposely took some time off so that I can do that and uh, do what I needed to do as far as the church is concerned. We're about ready to get back into the normalcy of who and how we do things around here, so I'm excited about that. So here we go. Um, I want to talk to you about two principles that you can do that will make your father a better father, and I mean that. These two principles, it's incredible. This is going to be life-changing for all of us, I trust. Um, that will make your father to become a better father. But even deeper than that, uh, what I'm going to cover today is going to help everybody. It will help a wife become a better wife, a husband become a better husband, a son become a better son, a, 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 a boss to become a better boss. Whatever the places are in life that you're dealing with, it's going to help every one of us. There are a couple of principles that we can do that can and will affect the people around us. I want to let you know that I'm taking some thoughts coming out my way from Gateway and from uh, Church of the Highlands. I'm using some thoughts from them and applying it to me with, with what we're doing around here. So just hang with us. There's two principles that we're going to talk about today. Doesn't that sound like a fast sermon? Two principles. That's all he's going to do today is just two. Well, we'll wait and see how long this takes or not. Okay, here we go. Principle number one is the principle of honoring. The principle of honoring. Go with me in your Bibles to Mark chapter uh, Mark chapter. Uh, 6, beginning with verse 1. Then he, Jesus, he went out from there and came to his own country, and, in, and his disciples, <clears throat> they followed him. The story is beginning here by telling us that Jesus is in his own hometown. This is where he was raised. This is where he was born. This is where he is at in his own hometown. Let me jump to verse 2 of that same chapter. And when the, when the Sabbath had come, he began to teach in the synagogue and Many hearing him were astonished, saying, What did this man, where did this man get these things? And what wisdom is, is this uh, which is given to him that such mighty works are performed by his hands? Now, we don't know, but I'm sort of reading into this a little bit. It sounds like Jesus is maybe preaching at this particular point when they say things like that in verse 2. Let's go to verse 3. Is this not the carpenter, the son of Mary, the brother of James and Joseph and Judas and Simon? Are not his sisters here with us? Uh, they are, uh, so they were offended at him. But Jesus said to them, A prophet is not without honor except in his own country. Listen to this. Among his own relatives and in his own house. Now he could do no mighty work there except that he laid his hands on a few sick people and they were healed. If you really think about what we just read, what the scriptures have just said in these few verses that we read, these five verses, if you really think about this, this is shocking. This is really incredible to think that the Son of God was limited by, dis by dishonor. 
He was limited by dishonor. He's in his hometown, the Bible tells us. He's in his hometown, and uh, he's probably sharing some experiences that he had. This is not the very beginning of his ministry. He's been to many cities. He's been to many places, and God has used him in a great way. He's done some very significant things in and through his life, uh, in and through the life of Jesus. And people were astonished. And probably they were astonished because now Jesus begins to preach a little bit. I can only hear him not only talk about the amazing things that God the Father has done in him and through him, but also to talk about the truth of God and who God really is. So I can only imagine that, that uh, these people are a little bit astonished, and they ask the question, where did he get his wisdom? How did he do such mighty works? I mean, what's this all about? And then the Bible goes on to say, this just blows me away, and they were offended at him, the Bible says. They were offended at him. And the reason they're offended is because he's a hometown boy, and he's home now. He's home now at this particular time. So for Jesus, when all the chips had fallen because of dishonor, the Bible tells us specifically that Jesus could not do a mighty work in Nazareth. He could not do a mighty work in Nazareth. And I don't know about you, but we know God as being the creator of the universe. He is the creator of the universe. He is the living God. He is God Almighty. And we find in the Gospel of John, John chapter uh, uh, 1, it's not in your notes. I just jotted down a couple of thoughts here. John chapter 1, verse 1 says, In the very beginning, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. It's talking about Jesus. This is who Jesus is. In the beginning, the Word, Jesus is the Word, the Word was, was with God, and the Word was God. Verse 2 says, he was, he was in the beginning with God, and then verse 3 says, all things were made through Him. In other words, what we're talking about with those verses is that we're talking about God. And God himself was hindered. He was unable to do any mighty works because of dishonor. Because he had those who didn't believe on him as being God. Jesus could not do a mighty work. It's shocking and it's amazing to me that the Son of God could go into any given city. He went to many cities, as I've already said, been to many places, communities, cities, synagogues, wherever it was that he would go. He has done some mighty and amazing things, mighty works in those places. And then he comes to his own hometown where he was raised. And the Bible says he cannot. It says he could not do a mighty work there because they wouldn't honor him. There are at least two causes for dishonor, familiarity as well as offenses. Let me talk about Familiarity. Let me talk about that for a moment. That causes, that causes dishonor. Familiarity, of course, comes from the word family. And a lot of people have heard the statement that Jesus makes in Mark chapter 5 when Jesus says, a prophet is not without honor except in his own country. Scores of people know that. Many people throughout all generations have heard that. But typically what they hear is only that much of the, of the, of the verse. Many of them only hear that a prophet is not without honor and except in his own country. But Jesus goes deeper. What the Son of God actually says go deeper than what we typically think or believe or what we hear. Let me tell you what he said. A prophet is not without honor except in his own country. And here's where he goes deeper. Among his own relatives and in his own house. In other words, what the Son of God is saying, familiarity can cause dishonor. Family and friends can cause or bring dishonor to whoever the person is in that house. 
Whoever that individual is, no matter what it is that they've done, however good or bad it would be, they would have that, that ability to bring dishonor to that person because they would say things like, I know the guy. I've seen him. I've seen him when he's had a bad day. I've seen him how he reacts to situations and circumstances. I know what he's really like, which is what the Bible is telling us. Jesus is telling us. Uh, familiarity is not only dealing with people who may know you at a distance, but it's talking more about the fact Jesus makes it clear about the people who really know you. The second area is offenses. They were offended at him. I, I don't know about you, but this makes me mad. They were offended at him. If you are offended by someone, you're never going to be able to honor that person again. You're, you're never going to do that, which is why the Bible tells us, the Word of God tells us, if anybody has an offense against you, forgive them. Forgive them. So they were offended with him, and what they should have done is simply forgive him for whatever reason they're offended. I don't understand what it could possibly be, but for whatever it is that they're offended. As a believer, you and I need to understand when there is an offense, any offense, even if what that person did is worthy for us to be offended, to be mad, and to be a people who would keep a distance from that person because of what they've done. The Bible tells us, God's word says, even if what they did was worthy for us to be offended, that doesn't give you and I a right as a believer, to hold an offense against that individual. You are, you are to forgive them. It's not that you don't forgive them. You are to forgive them. Man is quiet in this house. All of us have been offended. All of us have had people come into our lives that have offended us. And the uniqueness and the glory and the wonder of the God that we serve says, but you have to forgive. This guy needed forgiveness. You have to, you and I have to forgive. It doesn't give us the right to hold an offense and to not forgive that person no matter who they may be in your life. Yes, even your ex. Even your ex. Again, these verses are shocking to me. Listen to this. If dishonor uh, hindered Jesus from doing mighty works, then is it possible? I want you to hear this, and I want you to think this through. If dishonor hindered, if dishonored hindered Jesus from doing mighty works, then is it possible that dishonor is hindering a man in your life from doing a mighty work too? Before we go any deeper, it's Father's Day today. It's Father's Day today, and since I'm a father, a grandfather of 15 grandchildren, I thought I would at least get, you're an awesome grandfather is what you are. But no, no, never mind. Um, anyhow, uh, I, I, since it's Father's Day and I'm a grandfather, I want to speak for the men for just a couple of minutes this morning in this message. So we're going to pick it up right there in a moment. But I, I just need to, need to talk to you women to you, so that you can understand us men a little bit better. Not, not that you don't understand us at all, but just so you can understand us a little bit better. Because you need to know it's tough being a man. It's tough. I mean, a lot of us make it look really easy, but it's not. It's not easy. It's tough because the truth is we're confused. We're confused about you. We're confused, and we don't know what you want. No matter what you said, we don't know what you want. We get confused constantly with, do you want us to be tough, or do you want us to be sensitive? 
And when do you want which of them? We don't know. We don't get it. My wife will say things all the time that confuse me. She has said to me a lot of different times, she says, I didn't tell you my problem so you could solve them. Well, then why did you tell me? If you don't want me to solve it, why, are you, why, why would you even take the time to tell me that you have a problem? What am I supposed to do? Then she would say back, well, I didn't tell you my problem so that you could solve them. I told them so that you would, ladies, listen. Let, guys, men, let that be a cue. You just heard a bunch of women say, listen. They didn't see my notes, but that's, that's what they want. They want us to listen. Just listen to me. Marianne says this a hundred times a day. Just listen to me. So I'm quiet. And I'm listening. Then she says, talk to me. Just talk to me. Will you talk to me? Ay, ay, ay. Ladies, we love you to pieces, but... But you confuse us with what you say and how you say things. We don't know and we don't really understand. I, and I don't know this for sure, but I sort of think you do all of this on purpose. You're trying to control us, aren't you? And we're going to figure this out sooner or later. How about this one? A man will get all dressed up and he's about ready to walk out the door and his woman will say to him, Are you wearing that today? Of course, that confuses us. So we end up saying, of course not. I'm just going down to get a gallon of milk. I'll be right back and change my clothes. In my 63 years of life, I've never had a single man come up to me and ask me the question, are you wearing that today? I've learned, gentlemen, after 45 years of marriage that one of the smartest things that we can do, gentlemen, is let your wife lay out her, your clothes for you. Let her lay out your clothes for you to wear. Whether you're going to church, to work, whether you're going to the gym or even to the Bass Pro Shop, whatever she says, make sure she set it out there for you. Because your wife knows that you and I don't know how to pick out our clothes. Oh, there's been times in my 35 years of public ministry that, that uh, I, I would leave for a church service, for a meeting, whatever would be, and and uh, when I would return home and she didn't pick out my clothes, I would pull into the yard and she would look at me and she would say, did you wear that today? <laughs> and then, of course, I'd have to lie to her and I would say, no, I changed my clothes when I got in the car before I came home. <laughs> I didn't wear that today. No, I didn't wear that today. I don't know what else to say. She said to me, did you wear that today? I would say yes. And then she would ask, all day? Yes. And then she would ask, who saw you? <laughs> who saw you today? One time years ago, one of the ladies at Word of Life on a Sunday morning, a Sunday morning, walked in, walked over toward me, and she's looking at my clothes, and she says, is Marianne out of town today? <laughs> it's confusing. But it's the truth. It's not easy being a man. We don't know what to do. To my young fathers, to my young husbands who are here, after a few years of marriage, you can bank on this. This is going to happen to you. As a grown man, you're going to walk out of your closet, just in your underwear, and ask your wife, honey, 
does this shirt match my pants? And she's going to say, just sit down on the bed. After I get dressed, I'm going to pick out all of your clothes for you to wear today. Just sit on the bed. And then it got to the point, there we all were. There we all were, Jeremy, Jacob, Tom, and Michelle, and Randy in our underwear waiting for Mama Mary to dress every one of us. Because we don't know what to wear. We don't know what to do. You want to talk about confusing, then my wife would come to me with two different shoes on, on two different feet, you know, on her feet, one different, two, however you want to say it, and, uh, and two shoes on her feet, and she would ask me a question, which shoes should I wear? Now, I can't even dress myself. And you're wanting me to pick out the shoes that you're supposed to wear this particular day? I don't know what to do. I don't know what to say with all of that. Which shoes would I wear? Gentlemen, I've been married just shy of 40, 45 years. And of course, as a man, you, you're probably thinking, well, I probably have a, with two shoes, 50-50 chance of getting this right. Listen to me, men. Listen very carefully. Listen to me. The reality is you don't have a chance in the world to get this question right. It is the most difficult question that you will ever have to answer to your wife. It's a trap, and you need to beware. Which shoe should I wear? Listen, first of all, she really doesn't want an opinion from you. All that she's really looking for, she doesn't want you to make a decision. All she's looking for is a confirmation. One time, Marianne came out and asked me, what shoes should I wear? So I said, the brown ones. And then she looked at me and she goes, I don't even know why I ask you anything. <laughs> then why did you ask me? I don't get it. I don't understand it. Gentlemen, this is 100% foolproof. This is the best thing you can say when she says, what shoes should I wear? This is a win every single time. The 100% the, the foolproof way is to answer with no answer. Answer with no answer. What shoes do I wear? You have to answer with no answer. In other words, don't say a word. Don't say a word. She's got these shoes out there before her. What shoes do I wear? Here's what you're to do. Answer with no word. Hmm. Look a bit perplexed. Ooh. Let, them, let her know that you're really trying to think through. I know you don't give a rip at all. But listen, listen, listen. You hang in there. Don't say a word. You answer with no word whatsoever. And in about a minute, she can't take it anymore. And then all of a sudden, what she's going to just blurt out, she's going to say, I think it should be the black ones. And immediately you respond, I think it should be the black ones too. That's what I was thinking. And you're not lying because as soon as she said it, you knew that that's what you were thinking as well. So just tell her whatever she wants. It is a good idea. Yes, wear those, wear those black shoes. Whatever she wants, whatever, whatever she says, that's how you will win this every single time. Let me just jump ahead a little bit more just simply because I'm running out of time. Um, listen, uh, honor is the number one thing men need. They really need this more than anything that you would imagine. Now, I'm assuming 
There are many of you wives out there who are thinking, no, I think there's a different number one need within men. But according to all surveys, honestly, really, according to all surveys, um, um, that uh, men's number one uh, need of their life is, is, to be, is to be able to be uh, honored in some way or another. And so sex is number two, and it's really close to number one, but it's not number one. Honor is number one to men, that they would be honored. And uh, by the way, just so you know, that when women take that very same survey that I've just pulled these numbers from, uh, they list sex, the wife lists sex at um, um, number 13 <laughs> on their list. And just so you know, um, gardening is number 12. <laughs> oh, Jesus. I'm going to talk to God about that when I get to heaven. <laughs> Number 13, really? You really, God? Is that the way it's going to be? Go with me to Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 6. Let's continue to move on a little bit here. Honor. The Bible says, Jesus says, Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, that it may be well with you and that you may live long on the earth. Now, notice that verse. Look at that verse again. It's talking about the fact that um, a couple of benefits, if you would honor your mother and father. And a lot of people say the emphasis of that verse happens to be that you may live long. But that's not the emphasis. The emphasis of that particular verse is that it may be well with you. That's the emphasis. If you honor your father and mother, whether they're alive or not alive, if you honor your father and mother, the Bible says it would be well with you. Your life would be well. I believe that probably there are many people, maybe even some here today, that things are not going well with you. Things are not going well with you. Let's just talk about the job. Let's talk about work, what's going on with work. And I believe that it's not going well with you because you're not honoring your, your parents. You're not honoring your, your father or your mother. Um, because it, it's what the Bible says. The Bible is telling us you can honor your father and that will change what happens in your life. If you would honor your father, honor your mother, if you would do that according to the word of God, the Bible is telling us right here, you can honor your father and, it, and that will change what happens in your life. And I think that's rather incredible. And I believe it's absolutely true. This is a, an, a amazing to me that uh, we're not saying uh, your father is perfect because we're not saying that. No father, no earthly father is perfect. We all make mistakes. We all have sinned. We all fall short of the glory of God. We have all different sins that we deal with on a daily basis, whatever the case may be. That's how it is in this world. That's how it is in this life. But we know that there is one who is perfect. He is our perfect and he is your heavenly father. He is your father, he is your heavenly father, and he himself is perfect. In the book of Genesis, just in case you didn't know, when Noah got off the ark, he ended up getting drunk. And one of his sons began to mock him about being drunk. And he laid there on the ground, he was naked. He laid on the ground, and two of his other sons came and took a blanket. You'll find this in the book of Genesis. They took a blanket, and each of them had a piece of the corner of the blanket on either side. And they walked in backwards and put the blanket down on their naked father so that there would be no shame, so that it would be gone. The Bible tells us that the first son who gossiped about his father, mocked his father for being drunk and naked, he was cursed. But the two boys, the two sons who honored their father, the Bible tells us that they were blessed. They were, they were a, a blessed people. How we honor other people affects us. Point number one is principle of honor. Point number two is the principle of receiving. Go with me to Matthew chapter, Matthew chapter uh, 10, if you would. Matthew chapter 10, beginning at verse 40. Jesus says these words. Jesus is speaking. He who receives you receives me, and he who receives me receives him who sent me. This is incredible. 
He who receives a prophet in the name of a prophet shall receive a prophet's reward. And he who receives a righteous man in the name of a righteous man shall receive a, 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 a righteous man's reward. Jesus is talking about receiving here. This is what happens. This is what happens if you receive. And, and, he, and he's talking to them. He says, if you, if you receive a prophet, you're going to get a prophet reward. If you receive a righteous man, you're going to receive a righteous man's reward. Then Jesus said, if you receive me, you're going to receive the Father. If you receive me, it's a package deal. You get God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Jesus says, if you receive me, you, receive, you will receive the Father. But how do we receive? That's maybe a question that would be lingering in our mind. How do you actually do that? Well, we all have received gifts before. So here is, a, here is the principle of receive, receiving. And I want you to listen to this carefully. This is, this is the main crux of the message right here with what I'm doing. So listen to this. When you receive a person in your life as God's perfect gift to you, stop. I am not saying the person that comes into your life is perfect. There is none in this world who is perfect. So let me read it to you again, this, mess, this point of the message. When you receive a person in your life as God's perfect gift to you, I didn't say that person is perfect, but they might be perfect for you. There's a difference. That man, that person, whoever that man, that woman, that person may be perfect for you, which says to me that God can use that person in your life. Listen, if you receive someone as God's perfect gift to you, you actually receive that person to be all that God intended that person to be in your life. This is huge. That person would actually become, you, you actually release that person to be all that God intended that person to be in your life. But until you receive him, he can't be that intended person that God has for you. You have to receive him. And a perfect example of all of that is found <clears throat> with Jesus. In John chapter 1, verse 12, listen to these words. But as many as received him, to them gave he the right to become the sons of God, even uh, those who believe in his name. The, 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 the word of God is telling us uh, that he gave us the right to become the sons of God. If you believe on Jesus, if you receive Jesus, now the Bible says you, you have a right the, the word right in Greek is ekosia, which deals with authority and power. So let me say it to you as with ekosia. He gave the authority or the power to become, the, uh, to become children of God who believe on his name. So there is something that God gives us when we receive Christ, that, that we are the son of God. Now, most of us here in this room today know that Jesus has all power, all power to save, to heal, to forgive, and to set free. He has all power to do that, but none of that helps you until you receive him. God will do anything. He is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask. He can do anything, but it will never happen to you until you receive him, until you receive the gift that God has given you through Jesus Christ. You need to receive him. But when you receive him, thank God, when you receive him as God's perfect gift to you, then you actually re release him to be all that God intended him to be in your life. I've said this before, the old Randy, you don't even want to know. My life was a wreck. I was a wreck. I was a sinner. I was involved with things I shouldn't be involved with. But 
Christ came into my life on, on July 5th, 1971, and he's changed me forever. As a young Roman Catholic, God came into my life in a Catholic church in a way as I would never imagine. He wants to do the same for you. Would you give the Lord a round of applause? He's a good God, a good, good God. So when you receive someone as God's perfect gift to you, this is huge, you, re, uh, you realize that that person is now going to be all that God has intended for him to be in your life. Listen, that works with husbands, that works with dads, that works with wives, that works with mothers, that works with siblings and friends and even your boss. Most likely, there are those of us who are in this room, except for my pastoral staff, um, you may have a boss that you don't like, but my staff loves their pastor. Not one of them said amen. But anyhow, um, many of us probably are having a problem at work in one way or another. Um, and, and our boss is not all that perfect. We're rather disappointed with all, all of that. You need to understand that a lot of people who don't do what God says in all of this, um, it, it becomes difficult for us. You need, you and I need to realize that that boss, that male or female boss that's in your life right now, it could be God's best for you at this particular time of your life. So I'm going to throw this at you. Could it be, could it be that God is just waiting as a result of this message today, that God is just waiting to hear you say that I am going to accept this as your gift. This boss is your gift to me at this time in my life. And I believe if you would do that, I would believe that if you would go to God and thank him for the gift that he's given you and that you would honor that boss, you would honor that man, that woman as your boss, I believe that God is going to bless you. And in my opinion, it's quicker to follow God and get to the other side of what it is that God's trying to show you rather than being stubborn and continuing on to do some of the things that you're doing because you don't like your boss and because you're angry about that. Uh, thank you for one amen, at least. I appreciate that. So when you receive your spouse, let me move toward closing as that is concerned. When you move toward your spouse as God's gift to you, and I do with Marianne, all of you know that. Everything changes. I don't care how extreme the two of you may be as husband and wife, with your likes and your dislikes. It doesn't matter to me, whatever those differences are. Here's the point of this, what I'm saying. The point is, this is a gift from God to you. This man is a gift from God to you. This woman is a gift from God to you, to you and I. Let me give you another two, word, uh, two words on receiving, and that's unconditional acceptance. Unconditional acceptance. This is the reason for the marriage vows. It's for unconditional acceptance. And that's what you said. And that's what you did two years ago, 22 years ago, 52 years ago. You said this. You said, I accept you for better or for worse. You said that. If, you're, if, if you make my life worse, you're saying, I'm staying with you to the end till death separates us. I accept you for better, for worse. Can I say this? If you receive him or her as God's perfect gift to you, it's going to change everything. I'm telling you, it's going to change everything. And it was proven by the Son of God. When there is dishonor, there's not going to be life. But when there's honor, there's going to be life. There's going to be healing. There's going to be fullness and recovery of everything that God would want. It's going to change everything. So instead of rejecting him, instead of rejecting her for some of the wrong that they've done in your life, God may be speaking through them to you right now. That you are to accept that husband, that wife, as the gift that God has given you. It's a perfect gift for your life at this particular time. They're not perfect. 
They're not going to say and do everything right, but that's God's gift to you and I. Can I tell you that Marianne and I said those very same words on November 16, 1973, for better, for worse. She has had the better, and she has certainly had the worse. Even so, my wife has been 100% faithful to her promise that she's made to God and her promise that she's made to me. You can be living with that person and not receive that person, and they will never become all that God intended them to be. Many of us have walked away from a marriage thinking that this guy, this gal is going nowhere. I can't take it anymore. I'm out of here. And it could have been at that, that particular intersection of your life that God was trying to do something in you, and you walked away from it. So if you're on number two or number three or number four or number five marriage, I'm joking around a little bit with that one, but I'm here to tell you, don't walk away from that. Don't just walk away because things aren't going the way you thought that they should go. Understand that God has a purpose for everyone that are, in, that are in our lives. We had a serious cancer concern these past 30 days for Marianne. A cancer concern. And, uh, and uh, thank God she is cancer-free. Everything finally came back cancer-free. But I can tell you, I remember very vividly being here that, those five days that we were without an answer. Just pacing the floor. And I'm not too humble or too proud to say to you, uh, weeping. I was just crying out to God, I can't take it. I, I can't take my wife going now too. I can't. I just can't take this, God. I, and and I, can't, I can't imagine my life without her. And the reason why I say that is because Marianne has been the best example of so many things in my life. In, in my life. She's honored me when I deserve to be dishonored. She has received me when I should have been rejected by her. I've never committed adultery with her. I've never been into pornography and all that stuff that so many men get in trouble with. I'm not talking about that. I'm just talking about the everydayness of life. Just me being a man, you know, being who I am and who she is. She has hung with me every bit of that. She taught our kids to do the very same thing that, that she herself was doing, as I did with my, my kids. I taught them, you respect your mother as I respect her. Those those kind of things. She's always spoken very honorably, even in difficult times, even when I would blow it in some of those 45 years of our marriage. It has changed me. She has received me as God's perfect gift for her. And I've come to learn that I've received her as God's perfect gift for me. There's no one, no one on the planet that would be able to change any of that. She has been that number one perfect gift. Let me close off with this. How to honor both your both fathers on Father's Day. Do you know you have two fathers? You've got a biological dad and you've got a heavenly dad. You've got a heavenly father. Your biological father is not perfect. He will and he has made mistakes. But your heavenly father is. You have a perfect father if you have received him as your Lord and Savior. You have a perfect father. So let me tell you how to honor both fathers on Father's Day real quick. We're going to honor... We're going to honor earthly fathers, two of them, and then we're going to honor our heavenly father with two of them. Number one is that um, honor your earthly father by remembering what he has done right and thank him for it. The Bible tells us, Jesus tells us that the devil is the accuser of the brethren. The devil wants you and I to remember only the wrong that somebody, your dad has done. The devil wants you to, uh, wants, wants to remind you what he didn't do for you. The devil wants to remind you uh, what he hasn't done for you. That's what the devil wants. And I don't know about you, but I choose to honor my earthly father, the one who's in heaven. I honor my dad. He died on Thanksgiving Day of 1991. I, I, and I, I still honor him. I honor him for giving me life. When I figure out what to honor him for, honor him for giving you life. Out of, if, if our fathers didn't do anything right, the one thing he did 
was to create you. Between him and mom, they gave you life. My father provided for me. He protected me. In his old age, he was a changed man. In his old age, he humbled himself to Jesus, received Christ into his life. He was a changed man. Unbelievable changes that happened in my father's life. He was a wonderful father to me as an adult as well. He encouraged me. He loved me the most out of all four sons. <laughs> my brother Mike is over there. He's coming. Um, <laughs> and my dad was a wonderful grandfather as well. As long as your father is here, you need to tell him often what he means to you. I would do anything to hold my dad again in my arms and to tell him I love him and how much. And I'm going to someday. I'm going to do that someday, and it's coming soon. Secondly is that honor your earthly father by giving him grace for any shortcomings and imperfections of his life. My dad was a workaholic. He wasn't an alcoholic, but he was a workaholic. He wouldn't miss work no matter what. He always, always went to work. And if he was asked, he worked at Crucible Steel over there by the fairgrounds. If he was asked to work a double, he never, ever said no. Never. So he would work 16 hours a day, sleep a little bit, and go back to work again. Consequently, because of that, my father, I can only remember one game in my entire life. I was a lot in, the, in baseball and different sports as a kid. And I only remember one time in my life that my father came to one of my baseball games. And I remember seeing him clapping. I was a pitcher at that particular game. I remember that. Um, but I also want to say to you, my father was never really a huggy, kissy kind of guy either. He, he just wasn't that kind of dad. But I will never forget this. I will never forget this. I think I'm 10 years old, and I'm sitting next to my dad, and I put my head on his chest. And uh, I could hear his heart beating. And I could hear the air coming into his lungs and breathing. And I just felt so close to my father. I just felt that. I think we were watching the Ed Sullivan show. I don't remember what was on TV, but this is a long time ago. I remember that. I'll never forget that as long as I live. Our father worked hard so that we would have a house to live in, food on the table, and clothes to wear. Let's talk about our Heavenly Father. Honor your Heavenly Father by believing in His love and by putting your faith in Him. Let me say it again. Honor your Heavenly Father by believing in His love and putting your faith in Him. Do you know that God loves being a dad? The Bible says you call me Abba in, in Hebrew. That's, that's dad. That's papa. That's my father. When you talk to him, he's like your father. He is your father. He's your heavenly father. And, and when, you, when you put your faith in him, excuse me, when you don't put your faith in him, when you're not being that son who believes on God, then you rob him of the opportunity to be a father. He wants to be a father. I don't know about you, but I love being a dad. I love being a father, and, 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 and I love my, my four kids. I, I love them so very much. Um, and, of course, Marianne and I were robbed by the grave of our oldest son in September of 19, uh, 19, 2016. And it kills me sometimes. I don't know why, but when I end up over there when I'm praying over in that spot, and I'm praying, <clears throat> asking God to help me and Marianne with our loss of our son, I just get sick to my stomach. I'm surprised I haven't puked on the floor. I mean, it just, it hits me like a ton of bricks because I've lost that opportunity to, to raise my son, to father my son. It's over. It's done. And many of you in Word of Life know what I'm talking about. We've had a lot of sons and daughters die at a younger age here at Word of Life, and it's, it's just, it's a terrible thing. It's a horrible thing. But I love being a father. 
I love being a grandfather, a poppy, like so many of you grandparents who understand. I love being a father. I love it when my kids need me. You know what? I, I really think I would be devastated if I felt that my kids never needed me again. I think I, I think I would just curl up. I don't know what I would do with my life if they didn't need me. Now, that's not a hint that you load me down with all kinds of things to do, gentlemen, and my daughter in South Carolina. But it's one of those things. Lastly, honor your heavenly father by being the best father and mother you can possibly be to your children and to your stepchildren. If you're a father here today, whether you know it or not, you're an image bearer of God himself. And when you're a good father, you're honoring God the Father by saying what he would say and by doing what he does. Would you stand with me to your feet, please? The closing verse, which is my oldest son's favorite verse that he quoted often. James 1, verse 17. Every good and perfect gift is from above. And it comes down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow of turning. Would you please bow your heads and close your eyes just for a moment? Can I have our intercessors please make your way down? I'm trusting that today that God has spoken to you about something pertaining to your dad. Whether your dad is alive or, or not alive, I want to challenge you to follow through what you feel the Holy Spirit is whispering to you or prompting you. Maybe something that was said in this message or maybe even a song that was sung today maybe just maybe that has really moved on you and you're thinking that, that maybe there is a God of heaven who would love me and who would help me after all you're in a room full of, of people who have failed God miserably but he's forgiven us and he's given us hope and he's given us direction and you can have that too my friend and the only way you will have that is if you receive it I said that to you earlier in the message receive what Jesus has done for you if you would receive that your whole life would be changed with heads bowed and eyes closed so that no one would be looking around. This is a private question. But if that's your desire, to let God take control of your life. I'm not saying come to Word of Life Church. You're welcome to come if you want, but that's not my goal. But that you would receive Christ as your Lord and Savior. If that would be you, would you just hold your hand up? Just hold it up for a moment, and I'll acknowledge that. Thank you, thank you. Thank you over here. Are there any others? Come on. To my right side, far right side. Give me a wave if that's you. How about to my left side? Thank you. How about to my left side? Thank you, sir. Are there any others? Father God, I want to pray for all of these that are here today that are making a decision for Christ. Would you move on them? All we need to do is to begin by believing. We don't understand it all yet, but God, we, we begin by believing. And somehow or another, we believe. We believe you're here. We believe that you're stirring our hearts right now. And I ask you to become the Lord and leader of my life today. In Jesus' name, amen. Before we do our final song, a prophetic word came to one of the men of the church and there was a second confirmation to it by another person and I'm going to tell it to you before we go into our intercessory time we're going to sing our last and final song just take a couple of minutes if you'd like prayer for anything these people are willing to pray for you but the vision the thought was this there was a funnel on the top of our building right here at the very top there was a big funnel and the funnel was all of the blessings of God that was just going around and is coming down on word of life the second person who didn't know that the first person saw the funnel came and talked about a second funnel that was smaller, a smaller one. And actually that one was on my head for God's blessing on me as well. So I am believing for all of us, not just Randy Chiz, but for all of us in this room, that God wants to pour out blessing on you. 
And if you would receive Christ, the blessings are going to come. If you've walked away from God and you come back to God, blessings are going to come. He's waiting for you. He's your Father. He loves you. And He wants to receive you. If you would like prayer for anything, make your way down while we're singing this last song. Go ahead, Luke.